I'm Raheem Edwards, and you're listening to The Sound of the Looms. afternoon or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm Steve McPherson, and the place to be in Cal Williams has two pints of Sam Adams, but he's working on three. We'll be looking back at the game against FC Dallas and ahead to the game against the Houston Dynamo. But first, we wanted to take a moment and give a shout out to the presenting partners for our 2020 season. Allianz, Alina Health, Bell Bank, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Minnesota, Federated Insurance, and M Health Fairview. We really want to thank those sponsors for sticking with us as we get back into playing in home markets in phase one and going into the future. To learn more about any of our partners, you can visit mnufc.com slash club slash partners. Cal, let's talk. Emmanuel, Bibilo, Reynoso, now that we're allowed to, it is finally official. I know we've talked about him before, but your emotions on the day, given that this is finally out there. I think... uh big sigh of relief to be honest Steve because there were times when this deal had fallen apart um, we had a very long chat with Mark Watson the technical director of Minnesota United last week and he told us uh, some insane stories about trying to get this deal done um, and obviously the small matter of dealing with a global pandemic put a, a firm halt on the league for some time uh, on the deal for some time rather and um, uh, amongst other complications, um, trying to agree a fee, trying to um, deal with, with Boca Juniors and the way that they do things. Obviously, it's very different in South America. Um, there's, there's been a lot of hurdles to, to get this deal done, but the one thing that has been consistent, to my knowledge, throughout the entirety of it is that Emmanuel Reynoso has wanted to come to Minnesota United and Minnesota United have wanted to sign him. So... Um, there were just some stumbling blocks that had to be dealt with. Um, they were eventually. Um, and I think Mark Watson um, should be commended and given all sorts of praise for, for getting this deal done because he's been back and forth to Argentina several times now. Um, as I said, dealing with Boca Juniors and, and, and trying to get this deal done as quickly as possible. Um, I, I'm just excited, Steve, because it, it's a game changer. It really is. Minnesota have needed a number 10 for some time now. Um, even when Minnesota had Darwin Quintero on the roster, I still thought they could have done with... with um, uh, a playmaking and goal-scoring number 10, and, and that's exactly what Emmanuel Reynoso is. Um, you know, he's 24. He is right um, on the cusp of being in his prime. He's going to play his best football here. Um, he's been, um, I, I think it's safe to say, he's been praised a lot during his time at Boca Juniors. Um it's the club. For those unaware, it is the club in Argentina. There may be one or two River Plate fans who have issue with that comment, but Boca Juniors is the team in Argentina and has been um, a consistent feeder of, of players uh, for the Argentine national team for as long as I can remember. Um, they are the, the team that all the big players go to in Argentina. They are the team that wins the title more often than not every year, they are the team that consistently competes 
um, towards the top end of the Copa Libertadores, which is the South American equivalent of the CONCACAF Champions League. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a big club. And I think it speaks volumes that a player like Ronald So wanted to leave that club for an Argentine kid as well to be playing for Boca Juniors. That's a big deal. So for him to be wanting to leave that club, to come to our club, to come to Minnesota United, I think speaks volumes. Um, so I'm just excited, Steve. As I said, it's a game-changing signing. Um, he, he will come in and play the number 10. Um, he's more than capable from set pieces in terms of providing assists and goals. Uh, he's creative. He is someone who, who is going to be the focal point of Minnesota United for several years to come. Yeah, I think that the the for several years to come part is important too because I think that the age can't be stressed enough that at, at 24 he's he's roughly the same age as Chase Gasper, um, uh, Hassani Dotson, uh, slightly younger than Luis Amaria, but like right in that you know he's he's right in that age of of players that we consider sort of the young players on the team, um, which is huge when it comes to thinking about like what Minnesota United has had before in that position. You mentioned Darwin Quintero, um, who again is more of a, um, a second striker in a lot of ways than, than a, a true playmaking number 10. Um, and also came in, he was already 30 when he arrived, um, I believe, or just about 30, um, which is sort of, you're talking about hitting, um, you know, like your, your late prime, you're starting to get into like the sort of late prime at that point. And he, he was, I mean, let's not mince words. He was inconsistent. You know, it was Darwin Quintero at the top of his game was a sight to behold. Uh, as we've said many times that, that, that hat trick was one of the most incredible hat tricks I've ever seen. Some of his goals, just isolated goals are some of the most impressive that I've seen live. I mean, which isn't saying that much. I've basically only watched Minnesota United play soccer. <laughs> But I'm live. But I'm saying, like, he was incredible. But some games he just wasn't there. He just would sort of disappear. He would be disengaged. Um, and then, you know, as far as Kevin Molino, who, again, at the top of his game, has looked like often the best player on Minnesota United. Less because of engagement, I feel like, with him. A little more because of just health issues. But he's also 30 now at this point. Um, and... I honestly feel like we've seen him in a couple a couple times play off uh, as a left winger and, and sort of float centrally. I think playing next to Bibilo will be really beneficial for Kevin Molino in a lot of ways because he won't be that only guy who can handle the ball at his feet in that sort of way. Like Ethan Finlay is an incredible worker. His work rate is tremendous. He never stops trying, but he, he's not a ball handler. He's not a dribbler. Um, you know, so I think it, it, it could really it hopefully help out Kevin Molino's game. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, <clears throat> I've heard things about, you know, as far as uh, Boca Juniors and the position he played, he wasn't so much deployed as, as a strict number 10. He played a little deeper in the field. Can you enlighten us a little bit more about, you know, how he was used at Boca? Yeah, absolutely. And what I will say before I start here is, is that there will be another podcast coming your way where we spoke to Mark Watson about this as well, because it was a point that he wanted to get across as well. Um, and he was playing a, a little deeper. He was playing as a number eight um, for Boca Juniors and simply because there wasn't the room to play him at a number 10. Um, because of the, the luxury that Boca Juniors have, being the premier side in Argentina, they have an abundance of options and some uh, world-class players. Um, but I think what it, what it says, Steve, is that Boca Juniors wanted to find a way to get him in the team. <laughs> That's how good sure. he is. 
and 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 the fact that he wasn't playing in his natural role, they were happy to him, happy with him playing uh, a little deeper. Um, I think that says a lot. Um, also, you have to take into consideration that during uh, his stint at Boca Juniors, there were three different managers as well, and all three of those managers wanted him in the in the team in the starting eleven for the most part. Um, so I think that says a lot. But but he's he's come here to play the number 10. He's come here to be the string puller. And um, a, a little story that Mark Watson shared with myself and, and Kendra um, about a week or so ago, he, when they first met down in Buenos Aires, um, Mark Watson said, you know, very much as, as though I've just um, insinuated that he's coming to play the 10. You know, we, we want you to come and play as the number 10 and be the guy. And apparently, um, Emmanuel Reynoso, when he was presented with, with that particular pitch, uh, as well as the number 10 jersey, apparently got quite emotional. And um, again, I, I think credit needs to go to the club for, for showing not only the ambition to go for a player like this, but, but to make a player feel wanted as well, because we, we all know it feels nice to be wanted, doesn't it? So um, I, I, again, think, heap, uh, think praise should be heaped on Mark Watson for, for saying all the right things and, and getting this deal done and, and selling the project um, to a player who, quite frankly, Steve, could have gone to a lot of other a lot of other teams around the world as well, you know. But the fact that he's coming here says a lot. So, um, look, I, I think um, the fact that he's coming in and, and wearing the number ten jersey, wearing the number ten jersey, Steve, in, in Argentina, is a humongous deal for any player. Um, you know, and you simply have to think of, of here's three names that, that come to mind when I think of Argentina's number 10. <laughs> it's Diego Maradona, it's Raquel May, and it's Lionel Messi. Those are the three names that stick to, to my mind straight away when I think of Argentine number 10s. And every Argentine kid who wants to be a footballer that, that is an attacking player wants to wear the number 10 because of those players. And they try and, and mimic one of those players. Um, obviously, all three of them... Um, exceptionally different players but the point is is that it means so much to wear number 10 in Argentina so again I think um, his confidence will be sky high when he's ready to come and play um, because he'll be coming in and donning that number 10 what I will say though as well Steve in terms of him coming into play let's reserve judgment for a little bit because as we all know it's very difficult to come into a new country a new setting uh, and adapt he doesn't speak the language yet as well so that'll play its part um also, he's not played a game in about five months. Mm. He's not played a competitive game in around about five months because the Argentine season ended. Um, Pre-season was upon them, but they haven't played a game, to my knowledge. So um, I, I think he's going to come in, um, I, I would say, around about 60%. Um, because, to my knowledge, he's a very fit lad. He, he keeps himself in good shape. Um, so you would assume him regaining that sharpness and match fitness wouldn't be too much of an issue, but it will take a little bit of time. So um, let's, you know, not just ridicule him if he isn't very good in the opening game or two. Um, I think we need to give him a little bit of breathing space because I think ultimately this is going to be the best signing that Minnesota United have ever made. Sure. Yeah. And Cal, he could be available as early as Wednesday, correct? I mean, I believe that based on, on clearances for everything, it's, it's a possibility. So um, to some extent, I think he comes in at a time. Um, 
I mean, you know, you, you never want to say it's an advantageous time when the team has not been doing well, but the last two games have not been terrific for Minnesota United. And so I think um, in some ways it's a good time. Yeah. I mean, if you were coming in and the team had, it was still undefeated and had come off two wins or something like that. And you're saying, well, we we're going to throw this new guy in. He should be the best player, you know, on the pitch for Minnesota United, but he might only be at 60%. I think there'd be a lot more second guessing. We're definitely looking at a situation, which we'll get into in a little bit about sort of the, the upendedness of that front four and what the situation is going to be. So it sort of comes in a moment where it's like, Hey, you know, give them the keys. Like what, you know, right now things are not clicking. Maybe this is the thing that can get things clicking. So um, let's, um, let's backtrack a little bit. We'll talk about FC Dallas, uh, the game down in, in, in Texas. Um, certainly, you know, I don't think this should be used as an excuse and Heath and the players definitely brushed it off. But as I was thinking about the idea of taking a flight in the morning to a place where it's 106 degrees and then playing a game of soccer, knowing you're going to go back to the airport and get home that night, I already break out in a sweat and get exhausted. I have to say (laughs) it seemed like a tough situation for playing games. And again, it's one of those things where every team is dealing with that kind of travel situation, but particularly traveling to 106 degree heat. I think about times where I've gone someplace hot that first day, I am not right in the head at any point. Yeah, it, you're right, Stephen, that it shouldn't be used as an excuse because, you know, Nashville went there and, and won a couple of weeks ago. But, sure. of course, it played its part. Of course it did, you know? I mean, if I even, as you said, if I even think of something that's 106 degrees, I start to panic. It's, it's, just, not, it's just not comfortable. When has anything over 100 degrees ever been comfortable, you know? So um, uh, the fact that they're traveling and, and doing what they have to do at the moment because of of the pandemic, um, it, it, it's just, it's unfortunate. But, um, you know, the, the simple fact of the matter is, Steve, is that they're going to have to get used to it because they ain't going to change anytime soon. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I, um, I, I, wonder, I wonder how long it'll take them to get used to it because, uh, as I said, I, I, there is nothing about it that seems pleasant whatsoever. So um, I understand why they're doing it. I, I, I agree they have to do it this way at the moment. Um, but it, it's far from comfortable, and I just can't even imagine the thoughts of, of going and playing for ninety minutes and and doing um, doing what they attempted to do. And uh, I, it, it's it's preposterous to me to think that that human beings have to attempt that. And but hey, look, as I said, it is what it is. Yeah, um, they're going to have to get used to it, and they're going to have to get used to it very quickly. At least they're headed back to Houston, uh, which is, should be no no cooler uh, at all. So I thought in the game, um, I was really concerned almost immediately um, just based on essentially the very first Dallas possession where they, they got the ball back. I believe Minnesota had started with it. They pushed the ball up the right side of the field, switched it with a cross to Fafa Pico, who was looked terrific all night until he came up uh, lame. And then sort of Minnesota's whole defense kind of over collapsed into the box and then there was a ton of room sort of at the top of the box I was just like this already does not look great it both the defense and the attack just sort of looked disconnected right from jump and Romain Matinier who again is the machine and runs you know pardon my my francais but his ass up and down the field every night just looked like he didn't have it in him that night for whatever reason, he wasn't closing out. I don't know if it was, I don't know if they were trying to do something, but both he and Chase Gasper, you know, Roman on the first goal, obviously Chase more on the second goal, not stepping aggressively to people on the wings. Um, 
talk a little bit about that first half and just what your perspective was uh, in terms of how the team looked. It was a bad night for the fullbacks, as you mentioned. And I think it's okay for the fullbacks who are the epitome of consistency to have an off night from time to time. Sure, it happens. But it was extremely disappointing, wasn't it? They weren't operating at the level that we know they can at all. I think both of them will put their hands up individually for the goals as well. Um, you know, you, you simply cannot give Fafa Pico that sort of time and space. Um, I was wondering, as Pico got closer to the goal, is anybody going to step? Is yeah. Romain going to, to press? Is anybody across the back line going to, going to stop him from getting closer to the goal? And, and the answer, unfortunately, was no. But um, taking nothing away from the play, because it was a really good goal, but um, there were obviously defensive frailties on, on that particular incident. And the same can be said for the Hages Forever goal as well. You know, I, it, the fact that Pepe has the chance to play the ball in again when it, when it should have been cleared multiple times prior to the cross coming in for Ferreira. Um, again, it just it just sparks that it, it sparks the um, the opinion for me that this team hadn't psychologically got themselves prepared for for what to expect at um, uh, at FC Dallas. And um, you know, I, I think. Um, there were a lot of disconnects, as you say. You know, I, I didn't think um, I didn't think Jan Gregus had a, had a great opening forty-five. Um, you know, I thought um, the two centre halves were, were left brutally exposed. Um, didn't think it was it was anybody. It was Lonzo's best forty-five minutes either. I I, I sort of agree with what Adrian Heath said, and, and I'll perhaps even take it one step further in the sense that I thought it was probably the worst opening forty-five minutes. I've probably ever seen from Minnesota United, if my, my memory serves me correct. Um, now I think look, you, might, you might be viewing 2017 through some rose. Well, yeah, now. look, I, <laughs> I was about to say, 2017 was, was horrendous, no doubt. But, but in, in the sense of what the roster is now, Steve, yeah, for, compared for to sure. what it was then, you know, I, I think with this roster, it was probably the worst performance I've ever seen. Um, given how good we know they are and what they can offer. Um, so, um, changes were needed, no doubt, but I must admit, I was surprised when Adrian took off the entirety of the, the attacking line. Um, that, is, that is not very typical for Adrian Heath, Cal. Well, just, just anybody, Steve. I mean, any coach, I was surprised that, that he must have had some choice words for them at halftime and said, do you know what? Forget this. None of you are up for this this evening. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll the dice and give some players an opportunity that, quite frankly, were deserving of an opportunity as well. I was delighted when Raheem Edwards got onto the field and yeah. got to show a little more than the you know, couple of minutes here and there that he's been getting. Um, you know, my, my opinion of, of Thomas Chacon is that I, you know, I, I don't think he's been great um, since he's come into Minnesota United, but actually I thought he did okay and was obviously chomping at the bit to get an opportunity. Um, having a motivated player wanting to come on and play is never a bad thing. Um, Mason Toy obviously wants to prove his worth as well. And, and look, Asani Dotson, you, you know what you're going to get from him, you know, and, and you get the occasional long range effort as well. So yeah. I, um, you know, I thought it, it was tremendous credit to um, a bunch of young, hungry lads who wanted to, to show what they could do. And I thought that's exactly what they did. And, and now what it does do is it does present a bit of a problem for Adrian Heath moving forward for the game in Houston I expected there to be changes anyway because of the short turnaround but you know the the real intrigue with this now will be does he go with what we saw uh, in the second half or does he go with a mixture or does he stay with the same lineup 
um, that there's so many things to ponder moving forward over the course of the next day or two. Yeah, well, uh, well, I think lineup questions are going to be a huge part of talking about the Houston game coming up here. Just to sort of finish off the discussion of the substitution itself and then uh, a couple other things from that FC Dallas game. Um, to, to a man, every player put on at the half was like four to seven years younger than the player they replaced. I believe the the average age, just looking at the midfielders, um, and obviously Mason Toy is younger than than Amaria, but I was uh, the average Amaria is sort of youngish still, I believe. Yes. Um, the average, I mean, <laughs> he's twenty five. That's young. Um, the average age of Lud, Molino, and Finlay is twenty nine. The average age of Chacon, uh, Hassani, and Raheem is twenty two point six. So uh, quite a difference in terms of age. Um, I think that's. Okay, I'm going to put a pin in that because I'm going to come back and talk about it with the lineup. Uh, let's talk about Hassani's goal uh, to sort of close it out as a, as, a, as a bright spot. Also, the second time in two games, Minnesota scored in the 55th minute. It was an own goal uh, uh, previous game. But still, I, th- I, was, I was noticing that as I was writing the recap that I, I had the same minute mark for, that, for the Minnesota goal. So um, Hassani Dotson has scored five goals. Uh, four of them have been from outside of the penalty area. Um, and as I noted on Twitter, the... The fifth just happened to be, you know, a game-winning goal in stoppage time to clinch the playoffs. So he definitely has a taste for the moment, which is great about uh, – I love this about Hassani, and I love, I love it because he's such a laid-back, mellow, thoughtful, kind, nice guy. Like, when you just talk to him, he's, he's, super, he's super easygoing. But the fact that, like, all of his goals have, like, a certain level of drama to them, I, I love that about him because he obviously wants to score those big goals. And I think that – I think Andy Greeter from Pioneer Press was asking which one is the best – which is his best banger of the four he has so far. Um, I think that it's hard to get over – it's hard for me to get over the nature of that first one because I just – there was no way I expected him to unleash it from there. Like, knowing him – He's the 31st pick in the draft. That's why his number is 31. He's coming into play in a position that's not his natural position at left back at that time. The ball comes back out. I'm like, he's going to cycle it back. And then he just ripped it on the volley. I was, I nearly, I fell out of my seat and picked my jaw up off the floor. Uh, but technically, the, sh- the, the view from behind of the one from uh, uh, the, the Dallas game where, you know, this this last one where he, he, hits it you know inside of the defender and it sort of goes right and then goes up left it's sort of it's sort of like a knuckleballer like it sort of it actually goes a little right to go sort of past the defender and then swerves up to the left to that corner uh it was it was beautiful for me it's probably his best goal in a minnesota united jersey steve um i i would say not too far behind was the goal against cincinnati um from a Purely from a, a technical point of view, um, I, I think the goalkeeper for Cincinnati probably didn't have his best day that day. But um, I, uh, this one for me was was uh, the purity of the strike was was something to behold. And, and what he does, Steve, is he hits it with the laces. But it's you know when you're striking a ball, you're often you know when you're striking it towards goal, you're often taught to hit it with the laces. And and it's it's slightly caught the left hand side of his of his boots. So it's always going to go away. It's always going to, you know, it'll look like it's going straight for a bit, but because of, of the, the spin on the ball, it's always going to go away a little bit. And, and as you quite rightly said, that's exactly what happened. The trajectory took it away from the goalkeeper and into the top corner. Um, it's a marvellous hit. And um, quite rightly, he should, he should revel in that, you know. And it's, it's, becoming, it's becoming a trait of his, isn't it? You know, he's obviously comfortable on the big occasion and, and being um, the man 
who has to take centre stage and deliver. So I've said before, Steve, I'll continue to say it. I, I put it out on social media. I, I think this kid has really got something. And, and for me, and I'm not suggesting Minnesota wants to lose him, but I think there's every chance at some stage that if he carries on on this trajectory that he's on, he's going he's gonna to attract some attention at some stage. Um, and uh, obviously that, that's not what Minnesota wants to happen, but it, but it wouldn't surprise me at all, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I think especially with, with the amount of and of eyeballs that are now on this league, on the young American players, particularly um, on the global market, I uh, I could see somebody having a sniff at some stage. But on the other hand as well, if that doesn't happen, I could also see him cementing himself as that central midfielder for Minnesota United for the next six, seven years. You know, I really, really could. I think he's, he's phenomenal. Um and it's a shame that right now it, it, it's difficult to put him in the team on a regular basis because of the 4-2-3-1 formation um, this season. I think next season, when Ozzy Alonso turns 35, I think the expectations should dip a little bit for the, the veteran. But Minnesota don't need to go and find a replacement because I think they have, they have one in Hassani Dotson. Yeah. All right. So let's move on, Cal, to the Houston Dynamo. We'll just sort of pick up where we left off there with the, the sort of lineup questions because that's obviously the most interesting thing going forward into the game. Um, so one thing I wanted to say, and I, I don't mean this as this should not come as a, a slight to Adrian Heath. I'm just looking at coaches versus sort of the field of what is possible for coaches. I would say that it's pretty safe to say that Adrian Heath doesn't like love young players. He, I think he is, he loves veterans. He likes guys who know what they're doing out there on the pitch. It doesn't mean he doesn't, he won't play a young player, but I think just versus like some other coaches where they seem keen on shaking things up. Adrian Heath seems much more invested in the idea of picking a team and then that team has to figure it out. That's fine. That's just the way it is. Um, but he, he's obviously got now uh, uh, this, this sort of group of younger players who came in and showed a lot more energy and vitality than the sort of first choice 11 who are out there. So um, do you think, I mean, there's a couple of ways to think about this, like what you think about it yourself and then what you think Adrian Heath thinks about this. Do you think any of Chacon Edwards or Toy uh, specifically earned a shot in that starting lineup right now? I'm presuming that that Hassani plays if it's the four, three, three, but doesn't play if it's not the four three three. So I'm only looking at Chacon, Edwards, and Toy. Um, if we are assuming that we're going to a four two three one um, to start the game, do you think any of those guys has has made their case forcefully enough to sort of get their way into the starting lineup right now? I do. Um, but before I say that, Steve, I, w- I wouldn't say Adrian. He doesn't like young players. I think he's probably been. I think he's been forced into having to to add experience. Because if you look at it from the expansion point of view, we all know now that roster was nowhere near good enough. And what they needed was experience. And they went and got experience over the course of the following two years. And I think, um, you know, they they were told certain things as well in terms of the budget. Um, You know, there wasn't going to be the amount of money available there is now, um, for whatever reason that was. Um, And and I I think Adrian Heath had his hand forced a little bit in, in the sense that, they had to go and get experienced players. Um, so I wouldn't say Adrian Heath doesn't like young players. I just think his hand was forced a little bit. I think, um, let, let me, I, I felt bad. I felt bad even saying this, um, like as I was sort of lining it up. But I, it, it's like, I just, and I think there's, there's the other element that goes into that, which, are, which I think you're also sort of, you're, you're coming up tangentially to, is that, you know, the, the goal was to win games um, over those first 
three seasons to sort of prove that the the plan and the system could work. And when you're you're when the the goal is to win games, you want guys who have experience and you can win games. You're going to have less tolerance for throwing a young guy into the mix and then just living with the mistakes they make. You know, like I think that when you've got an Atlanta United or something like that who sort of showed proof of concept, had those guys, and then can throw like a George Bellow out there, like to say, hey, let's let's get him some minutes, let's see what happens. We just haven't seen that same, and I don't want to say willingness because again, I think that puts too much on Heat's personality. But it's just like you're not going to see Chacon thrown out there or Toy thrown out there without them proving themselves, and that's just the way Adrian's always run his system. It's like you got to. You got to take the spot. You're not just going to be given a spot to see what you can do with it. That's fine. Um, so, but continue, please. The question of Chacon, Edwards, and Toy specifically, I'm thinking. I think, look, as I said earlier on, Steve, I think uh, Raheem Edwards has impressed whenever he's come on. Um, he obviously adds energy from the bench. He's a little bit different to what Minnesota United have as well. He can play on both sides, which help. Um, and look, as I've said before about, about Chacon, um, we are in the fortunate position that we've we've been able to see training for a, a long time um, whilst he's been here. Um, that's not been the case over the, the last month or so, but, um, you know, it, it's... Um, I just get the feeling that, that Chacon um, was having a little bit more of a difficult time settling in than, than people thought, um, and I don't know why. Um, I, I can speculate, but I think that's pointless. And I think um, there's an added pressure to play Chacon because of the designated player tag. And, and he's a, a young DP, by the way. He's not a, not a fully fledged designated player. Um, so he can easily be brought down. But um, I, I, I understand that, um, that train of thought, but I, I don't agree with it. Um, I think you play players that are best suited to your system um, and, quite frankly, who are going to deliver on a, on a regular basis. Um, and uh, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, a, a bucket load of goals and assists. You know, if, if someone like Robin Lurd, for example, fits the system better in the sense that he tucks in a lot more and gives Chase Gasper room to manoeuvre if he's dragging away the right midfielder or right back, you know, then, then so be it. If that's the way... You know, we know how Adrian Heath likes the fullbacks to be. If, if, and, and if you need to play somebody higher up the field to get the better of, of the fullbacks, then so be it, you know. Um, but I think, um, look, at some stage, you, you have to ask yourself, when is Chacon going to get an opportunity? And for me, he gets an opportunity when he starts being a little more consistent. But that is difficult, as you pointed out earlier on, for a younger player who is operating in a, in a foreign country as well. You know, he's only just turned 20 years of age. Um, but I think it's important to, you know, to temper the expectations as well. He is young. I, I've gone on record before, Stephen said, I think a low move would, would really shoot him somewhere, um, perhaps in a more comfortable climate down in South America or whatever. Um, but look, there's no, there's no doubt the kid's got talent. There's no doubt we've never not said that. Um, but I, I think he could do with some regular football, and I'm not sure he's going to get it here um, right now. Uh, but having said that, you know, I thought he was decent against Dallas. Um, I don't think he stood out, but I thought he was good. I thought Raheem Edwards um, gave the best account of himself yeah. in the sense that we know what Asani Dotson can do. Uh, and the same can be said for Mason Toy because they are young players that have had opportunities in the past. Um, but I thought, I thought Raheem Edwards was the one who really shone. So for me, Steve, and I've said this before as well, you know, when we've seen perhaps uninspired performances from 
from individuals. I, I thought Raheem Edwards, for me, would be the one that would straight away um, be on the tip of the tongue to, to get into the starting eleven. So wouldn't surprise me if Edwards started. Um, but then again, it's 2020. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I thought... <laughs> who knows about anything in 2020? I thought uh, Chacon looked uh, pretty good uh, as far as the stuff that was good. It seems like I think there's just a high level of variability in what you're seeing. You know, like there's some guys where you're like, okay, your ceiling is not super high, but your floor is high. So you sort of know what you're getting. Um, with with Chacon, I feel like you just, the room is really tall. <laughs> that Like the floor is very low and the ceiling is very high. Like the stuff that was good was very good. He also, you know, sort of made some movements that left him out of position, you know, where he sort of had to wave for other people to cover his man, um, you know, which is never a very good look. I did appreciate, you know, obviously he's not going to be a huge uh presence defensively but he he did sort of go toe-to-toe with ryan hollingshead uh which i appreciated seeing who's uh he's six foot one and chacon is five five so he was much smaller but he showed no lack of desire to go right at him um and to deal with him so you know uh, kudos to him but again i i don't really see i still think you know again you're probably not going to change the whole the whole midfield um it to my mind, I think Raheem, like you said, is probably the one who's earned that shot, especially given that he can play both sides and that Robin Lud, who I think is fine, has not been great. And so, and then you see, the other thing I consider is that Finlay, when they're good, the interplay between Finlay and Metnir is very good. Um, so if they're both on the same page, then I think you, you, it's, you don't want to break up that partnership there, whereas the sort of Gasper Lud side has not been as crisp. So maybe you try Raheem and get something new. If it were me, I would say, you know, Raheem on the left, let's say Reynoso is available in the middle, Finlay, and then Amaria up top. Amaria versus Toy is a, is a, is a good question. I, I think that, um, Amaria still doesn't look totally right, um, from that, that injury or for whatever reason, but. They also, as far as I know, they have to make a decision about Amaria after this year, right? They need to play him and then figure out, like, if this is, if this is the guy they want at the tip of the attack. And you also want to see what Amaria can do with Reynoso together because that's got to be one of the key, um, you know, connections. So why not run it out now? That would be – that's what I would throw out as, as, as your lineup. Well, this is the thing as well, Steve. You make a very good point in the sense that Luis Amaria will be – perhaps the biggest beneficiary of all in this Emmanuel Reynoso deal, because as we've said on this very podcast and, and, and other areas in the past, um, I think he operates much better with a number 10 underneath him, which is fine. You know, most centre forwards tend to, mm-hmm. um, but that number 10 has, has got to be creative and, and has to be consistent. And I'm not sure that's been the case for Minnesota over the, the course of, um, you know, his time here yet. So, um, I, um, I'm interested to see how this goes, Steve. I, I think it, it all depends on Reynoso's fitness and, and how ready he is. So, um, in, my, in my opinion, I, I, I think he'll be on the bench because I'm not okay. entirely sure he's, he's 100% match sharp and ready yet. Um, however, the counter-argument to that is, well, play him, he's your big DP. Um, he's cost you five and a half million dollars and add-ons and whatever, you know, you got to play him. I, I understand that, but um, uh, it's very easy to just throw him in and uh, and see what he does. But um, so that wouldn't surprise me at all. But I, I, I think I'd be, a, I'd be a little surprised, I guess, if, if he started just because of, of what we know in terms of he's um, not played a game in, in nearly five months. So um, we'll wait and see. I think um, if it was up to me and, and Reynoso was 
100%, then, of course, you know, for, for me, I, I would go with Finlay on the right. I would go with Reynoso in the 10, and I'd go with Molino on the left-hand side, all behind Amaria. Um, and uh, I, I would see how that works um, in the sense of um, that that's long-term. I think on, on Wednesday against Houston, again, it depends on whether Reynoso's fit or not. But again, um, against Houston... Um, I would probably go with Raheem Edwards on that left-hand side. Um, Reynoso, if he's good to start in the 10, if not, Molino and Finlay on the right-hand side behind um, behind Mason Toy, I think, for this one. I, I feel you. I mean, I think it's, and I think the thing is that maybe what you can you can sort of establish is that there's a short leash right now, right? right. After after seeing the entire uh, front four change over at halftime, you know, maybe you maybe you start with Raheem, Molino, Finlay, and Toy, you know, which is pretty close to, um, I mean, that that some of the lineup that 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 got you back in the game against Dallas, um, and then just see how everybody plays, um, and then Reynoso is an option on the bench to bring in late, you know, if the game. Either if the game is in well in hand and you want to give him some run, or you want to see if you can change things up if you're if you're a goal down or something like that, maybe he can be you know he'll be even if he's not match fit if you need him for 20 minutes and he can just provide some of that skill. I mean, I keep thinking back to like Darwin's first game, which was against Portland, um, where he just came in and it was like that week, and it's like, well, he's the best player we've got, so <laughs> throw him out there, like let's let's see what happens. And it ended up, you know, I mean, we didn't win that game, but it was it was it was a good performance for him. So um, let's shift a little bit and talk Cal about uh, Houston uh, you know the thing about Houston they hadn't won a game until last week when they ripped SKC a new one I think I can say that on the podcast um, the, the thing about Houston is it has sort of always been is that they're very good at home um, their attack is very good especially when engaged and you can obviously bet that both Darwin and Christian Ramirez will be engaged for this one um, so I think the question becomes how do you go about sort of trying to stall that attack I think that um, one of the good news, the good news about this is that yes, there's these former players who want to give it back to Minnesota United. Also, the team knows those players pretty well. I mean, obviously there's been a lot of changeover from, from when Christian Ramirez was with the team, but like, we know that Ramirez isn't, you can isolate Ramirez. Like if, if, if Christian's out on an Island, like he's not going to drop back for the ball. Um, you can sort of put him on that Island. If you can keep them there. Likewise, Darwin, if you force him to drop and receive the ball and then collapse on him, he can get frustrated pretty quickly. Um, what are some other things you think, you know, are, are ways to sort of slow down that Houston attack, which can be very dynamic? Well, I think like you said, it, it's, it's obvious that Ramirez can be isolated if you if you mark him correctly and you keep him quiet. I still think he I, I still think he scores though, Steve. Yeah, I would agree. I still think he scores on Wednesday just just simply because he's very very good at towing the line, um, and, and he's so good playing off the shoulder. Uh, I, I can I, I can see him getting in behind and scoring actually, um, and that's no. Houston can't score five. That's all we got. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, uh, and I, and I, I say this with all due respect to the back line, who I think have been fabulous um, without Ico Parra. Um, I, I just can see Ramirez scoring. Um, and Adrian Heath has even said in the past, you know, there's one player that would, would have worked really well in this system with these players, and it's Christian Ramirez. So, yeah. um, you know, look, I, I think um, for, for me, you, you, have to, you have to stop the, the wide players. Um, and I, I say wide in inverted commas because, you know, Quintero does like to drift in. Um, as does Elise when he's on that right-hand side, you know, and um, Lutvis on the left will, will overlap, and, and I'm assuming it'll be Zarek Valentin again on the right will, will overlap and, and provide um, threats from out wide. Um, 
I think if you if you stop the ball getting to to Elise and Quintero, I, I think you can contain them, and you can certainly contain uh, Ramirez um, by by stopping the ball getting to to those two players that I mentioned, because the creativity then does uh, does fall sideways. So uh, I like Manuel Rodriguez in the midfield. He's a homegrown kid who who um, has worked his way up the ranks, and, and I think he's a good player. Um, I'm assuming Darwin Seren will probably play in the centre of midfield them a player Adrian Heath knows well he signed him with Orlando back in 2014 in USL originally and then brought him up to MLS um, and, and, and Matias Vera is, is solid as well a holding midfielder deep lying playmaker again I'm a, look, there's going to be changes for them because of the, the, the short um, uh, turnaround they've got a game uh, over the weekend as well so um, it wouldn't surprise me if there were one or two adjustments I know, I know they've not played since that Kansas City game but um, wouldn't surprise me if if perhaps there are one or two adjustments with, with the short turnarounds uh, in mind. You know, I mean, Figueroa, centre-half, is 37. So, yeah, you know, there's only so much you can really ask of a 37-year-old um, in that particular incident, <laughs> in my opinion. So, you know, um, look, they're a decent team. They're well-balanced. Um, I think it took them a little longer to get to grips with the way that Tab Ramos wanted to play than they would have wanted to. But now uh, it looks like they've discovered it um, at a really good time. They were... They were brutal against Kansas City um, from an attacking perspective. They were um, incredible in front of goal. Um, not much um, went wide of the mark. Um, and to be honest, Steve, having watched that game back, they probably should have scored a few more as well. So yeah. had it not been for um, Melia making a couple of really good saves, you know. So um, it, 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 look, it's a tough opponent. They're a really tough opponent. And... Um, Minnesota have, have struggled at Houston as well over the course of the last couple of years and um, it's a difficult place to go regardless of if there's, there's fans or not it's a difficult place to go and play so um, for me though I, I, I do think again that the best way to get the, the better of them is, is probably from the, the wide areas um, and as I said it all depends on, on who plays there yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting to see. Again, there's you know we've we've talked about where our, our ideal line was for Minnesota United, but you have to consider the fact that they're playing again this weekend. So, um, you know, <laughs> there's there's always going to be adjustments to be made. So uh, we'll just have to tune in and see. Thanks to everybody out there for joining us for the 110th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Wednesday, September 2nd at 7 p.m. as the Loons return to Texas to face the Houston Dynamo. You can watch that on Fox Sports North Plus and listen on Score North. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating. And follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Entris. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>